you can turn now to, to Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. That is going to be our passage for this morning. I'm going to click my timer on my watch. That shouldn't scare you. It's just, you know, it's for me to make sure. Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. Uh, I've been praying for you, uh, Roebuck Church. I'm very grateful to be here. As you're finding that, it's after Philemon, before James. Uh, I want you, though, as you're getting there, some of you are real quick on the draw, but as you're getting there, I want you to think about a time in your life where you felt like quitting. Perhaps it was something like a job or a sport. could have been a relationship or a hobby. Uh, Maybe it was for the better. In fact, wisdom requires us to know our limits. Quitting sin or bad habits is wisdom. To never quit wrong actions looks like greed and lust and excess and gluttony. But there are good things too, which sometimes, if we're honest, we feel like quitting. Uh, We feel the desire to quit paying attention uh, during a sermon. Uh, Maybe you wanted to quit gathering uh, as a church at times. Uh, You go home after Sunday and maybe you say to yourself or your spouse while shaking your head, how long will we keep doing this? Uh, Some of you are exhausted. And so quitting might sound good right now. You might be discouraged in your faith. You might think, am I even a Christian? Uh, For you older saints, maybe you felt like quitting because for so long... You thought you only needed the basics of the faith, but instead of growing in knowledge of God, you've actually begun to forget the basics of the gospel of who Jesus is. He loves you. He's saved you. And so instead of fearing God and striving after a godly life, remembering the seriousness of life, that we must all give an account to God, maybe you have begun down the road of unbelief. And unbelief has begun to lead you to think you can rationalize sin. Perhaps your sin is not public, it's private, it's acceptable, but it's becoming less private. And instead of you controlling it, it controls you. You don't just sin in anger at home or in your mind, but out loud at the grocery store, at your children, at your spouse, at the TV, at your grandchildren's football game. Uh, Maybe you feel like quitting because you're just plain tired. Life is crazy. What's happening In our world, Uh, some of you served or have loved ones who have served to protect this country. And it adds all the more weight. What is wrong with this world? We're tired. So you find yourself without rest in God. The hope of heaven used to ground you and anchor you and direct your soul to Jesus. But now maybe at times you think, when will I just go home to be of heaven? So why fear God when we feel like this? Why strive in faith to follow him? Why heed his warnings? All of these situations we've been discussing are taken from the letter to the Hebrews. Hebrews was written by whom we don't rightly know with certainty, but someone recognized as authoritative in the church and inspired by God. It's written about 35 years after Jesus walked this earth. He died, he resurrected, the Holy Spirit Uh, descended at Pentecost. And so the recipients of Hebrews, they were first and second generation Christians. Uh, Many of you, you're not a first or second generation Christian. You have a legacy. You have a heritage that is great. 
But there's also Gentiles too. Some of you, you're the first Christian in your family, or maybe the second generation. Why does this matter for us? Because this shows the nearness that the people that Hebrews was written to, the nearness to Jesus that they had, within those generations were people who knew Jesus. They'd been discipled by the very apostles of Jesus, or at least their parents were. The author is writing to primarily exhort a church like us that can feel beaten down, tired, and discouraged in their faith. They're not getting work like they used to because their faith makes them stand out more. Their families don't understand them maybe because they're following Jesus as the Messiah, not just another rabbi. This church feels like quitting and they're showing signs of it. And maybe like some of us from time to time, there are aspects of following Jesus that we feel like quitting. It might not be the whole thing. You might be sitting there thinking, no chance. Jesus is my Savior. But maybe there's aspects. Maybe you are here and you feel like abandoning the whole thing on the other hand. You've never told anyone that. You've never written it down. But you've considered it. Like the Hebrews, we sometimes feel deep in our bones that if we just quit, if we give up, if we stop, maybe then we'll have rest. All right, we're going to read our passage, Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day and all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, So long afterward, and the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God might not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whosoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fail by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, and all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, to whom we must give an account. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, My wife texted me uh, some months back, and she said, Andy Squires is going to play a house concert in our backyard. And if you're thinking, Andy who, that's what I was thinking. I had no idea who this person was. We invited who to play a house concert in our backyard. And she said, it's that musician I'm always playing on Alexa. And so, you know, we all know as husbands, right? You're like, yes, of course, I know what that is. Yeah, I've been listening to great artists. After the concert, we got to speak with him. And he told us how because he's an artist and a lot of cir- he's in a lot of circles with non-Christians, and he's also in a lot of circles with former Christians, 
Remarking on one of those former Christians he was talking with, he said, Jacob, do you know what I tell people who say they want to do their own thing, to leave Christianity, leave the church? I said, I don't know. He said, give it two weeks. Because in two weeks, after you feel a little bit more rested from sleeping in on Sundays, after you feel a little bit of freedom from now being freed from all the shackles of what you think Jesus is, you'll be right back to where you started. You'll be right back to trying to answer the same questions about life and death and your purpose in it. But you won't find what you're looking for like you used to. Uh, If you and I are honest, we can admit that even if it's not Jesus himself, we've thought that there are aspects of following Jesus that maybe we can quit. And if we did, maybe we would have some semblance of rest. Like the recipients of Hebrews or the story I was told at my house concert, we too are tempted to think that life might be a little bit more restful if there were aspects of obeying Jesus that we just did away with. Things, these are the same things the Hebrews experienced. Things, like just not going to church. Things, like not proclaiming who Christ is. Things, like not fighting sin. Things, like not paying attention to the gospel. Some things maybe they didn't experience exactly, but similar. Things like repenting to our neighbor when we sin against them, or to our spouse, or our children, or lying on our taxes, being a slave to money and consumerism. Uh, these are all things that maybe we think if we did this, we would have a little bit of rest. Maybe you say Christian things, but you don't know Jesus to really be your rest. Maybe you do love Jesus sincerely. But you think that your performance is what actually gives you rest. How long has it been since that sin has popped up in your life? How long has it been since you seem to be on the right track? You're looking to your performance for rest instead of Jesus. Still others of us might think that rest will never come. You feel like Otis Redding humming the tune, sitting here resting my bones. And this loneliness won't leave me alone. Yes, 2,000 miles I roam just to make this dock my home. If so, Hebrews is for you. In our text this morning, we'll see that all of our frail attempts to find rest outside of Jesus, in all those frail attempts, that he still speaks to us. He's given us his word, his promise. And like the passage we read in verse 12, it is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God has not left us. So how do we find rest? That's our guiding question. How do we find rest? And three things. We fear God, we strive in faith, and we we heed his warning. Here's our first one. Fear God. Look back, if you will, Verses 1 through 2. Verses 1 through 2. Therefore. Well, I hate to bore you, but we got to go back. What is it? What is it there for? Uh, here's what it's there for. Uh, so we see, in verse uh, 19 before, so we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Referring to the Israelites. They were unable to enter Canaan because of their unbelief. And this led to disobedience. Now, why does this matter for our passage? Well, because entering the land, the promised land of Canaan, was to enter rest. Rest from what? 
Rest from their bent over backs under the weight of oppression in Egypt. Rest from their children being murdered by the government of Egypt. Rest from not having a place of their own. Rest from being told from everyone that you're a worthless slave. You are not human. You are dirt. So that's what's happening to the Israelites uh, under Joshua. Back to our text, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. God's covenant promise of inheriting the land of rest still stands. Our catechism teaches us that sin brought all of Adam's posterity into an estate of sin and misery. Uh, We all feel this every day. Do you like traffic? Does anyone love to sit in traffic? Sin and misery. Does your heart break when a loved one, when a child, when a co-worker just makes poor decisions? This is the world that we live in. Let's look at verse 2. For good news came to us just as to them, to the Israelites, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. In other words, the Israelites didn't miss out on entering God's rest because they didn't have the gospel. They had it. In Genesis 3.15, the gospel was first proclaimed. And prophets of God retold of God's promise. So why didn't they receive it? Well, because of their unbelief. What is belief? It is faith. What is faith? It is confidence. What is confidence? It is confide. It is with faith. The author is teaching the church that instead of repeating the apostasy of the Israelites who didn't enter God's rest in Canaan because they wanted to go back to Egypt, that all of us ought to instead fear God. There is an irony here, right? Phobeomai, to fear. Isn't this what they're already doing? (laughs) They're already fearing. They fear what the outside world will do to them and how they're treating them. They already fear being ostracized from society, misunderstood from family who isn't following Jesus. The Romans respected and tolerated worship of the pantheon. All gods were acceptable in that time. Even Judaism was a respected and tolerated religion because it was old. But Christianity was beginning to be seen as not just a variation of Judaism, but a whole new way of life. And they caused disruptions. Not of bad kind, but of good kind. They brought the sick and the lonesome into a family. This church feared losing out on business deals and networking because they didn't pledge allegiance to a respectable religion anymore. Worse, the Roman authority Nero was literally murdering, imprisoning, and burning Christians. So this is not like a hypothetical concern for the Hebrews. It's not like some philosophical game, like I wonder if. It's not some worry far off. As the theologian Aliyah put it, neither is the peril of apostasy. It's not theoretical, it is real. Apostasy is quitting on God. It's not persevering in Jesus till the end. An apostate fails to enter the promised rest of God. So what's the first step to prevent apostasy? The writer tells us, Fear God. Don't fear man. Proverbs 1 tells us that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Who is in danger of apostatizing? Is it just people out there? Is it just the people that you see sin in a certain way? Verse 1 says this, any of you. But verse 2 says, good news came to us. Jesus 
shows up. The author is teaching the proper place of fear, reverence of God, and he grounds it in the good news that came to them. They didn't have to seek out Jesus. They didn't have to network and be a part of the pantheon, the false gods and religion. If Jesus came to the Hebrews revealing the fullness of the gospel, then we too, in proper fearful reverence, can know who he is and we can receive the promise of rest. Uh, I'm from St. Louis, so I don't know if that's good or bad, right? But anyway, I'm from there, and there's three big things in St. Louis. There's beer, Catholicism, and soccer. Well, when I was 15 and a Protestant, I was on the soccer field, and I found myself trying out for the freshman soccer team. I love playing soccer. I still love it. I tore my Achilles tendon recently. That doesn't go well with playing soccer. They don't mix well. Uh, So there I am. It's day three of tryouts. And I'm looking pretty settled in, whatever that means, right? Like I was 15. I don't, I don't know what that means. Um, but I think that I've made it. But I actually don't want to tell you too much more about this. Other than that, I was there. But there's these two other guys there. These are real people, two of my peers, Josh and Oliver. And they were also trying out for the soccer team. Uh, Josh loved soccer. He played club when he was younger. He had experience and skills. Oliver was newer to the sport, though. His touch wasn't great. Uh, His shots were off goal, uh, but he had heart, and he gave it his all. Day three ends with Josh beginning to cut corners, the guy who followed the experience. He's not hustling back to the ball. He's not checking back on defense and growing irritated at the team, exhorting him to pick up the pace. Oliver, however, made up for his lack of experience with his heart. During sprints at the end of the day, it was Oliver, not Josh, running through the line. Josh was slowing down more and more. Day four ends. Josh not only gets cut, but he pretends like he never cared in the first place. Oliver finally gets to catch his breath. He's made the team. Uh, Josh didn't respect the sport or the coaches, or so he told himself. Uh, He relied on being comfortable. He feared not doing what he wanted. Later he told me how much he wished he had cared more. He regretted it, but never tried out again. Oliver played through the next four years. He was never impressive. This is not like some like heroic story, right? He was pretty average. But he listened to the coaches out of respect, and he improved. Oliver laughed and smiled at practices, not based upon his performance, but because he made it. Some of us are like Josh. We look to our experience and ability and maybe even play church for our rest. We're upset when we don't have things how we want it. We think the promise of God's rest isn't worth it. That feels so far away. I need immediate rest. So we think about hanging it up. Others of us are like Oliver. We're not proud of our failures, but failing along the way is better than failing to reach the promise rest. Like the Hebrews, we too can be afraid and place our hope, our rest, in the wrong person or the wrong thing. And so how do you enter God's rest? The first thing we see is that we must have a proper fear, a reverent fear, respect for who God is. Jesus said in Matthew 10, Don't fear man who can kill the body but not the soul, but fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. If you're not following Jesus, then God's wrath is upon you. This is a sober thing. But if you've heard the good news of Jesus and received it by faith, remember, the good news came to us. They were gospeled then you can enter his rest. 
When we see that, we receive the good news that came to us. This promise still stands. Who should fear God? Any of us. And who did the good news come to? All of us. Second, strive in faith. Uh, The Israelites missed the promise of rest in verses 3 and 5. They shall not enter my rest, quoted from Psalms 95, recounting the unbelief and disbelief and disobedience of the Israelites, wandering in the desert in God's response. And so I ask you, does does their unbelief, their apostasy, nullify the promise of God? Uh, They continually broke every agreement. Did it nullify God's promise? Did God finally throw up his hands? Uh, You all know. Absolutely not. That's our God. He's faithful. Let God be true, though every man be found a liar. The beauty of God's covenant with man is that he upholds his end of the agreement, of the relationship, even when we fail to keep our end. Look back at verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, now verse 7, again he appoints a certain day, saying, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The Hebrews are being shown two things about God's rest, and they need it because they feel like quitting. One, entering God's rest is a future anchor for our present hardships. Entering God's rest is a future anchor for our present hardships. God knows the present hardships of the Hebrews. Uh, Jesus taught as much, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. They are in exile. This world is not their home. This world, brothers and sisters, this world is not our home. They have not reached the true and better promised land, not Canaan, but heaven. That is the promise. Look now in verse 8 with me. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Makes sense. Checks out. We can track with that. While Joshua wasn't able to save them, giving them rest, Jesus is. Jesus is the true and better Joshua. Joshua is Greek for Jesus. God saves. Second thing they learn. Entering God's rest is a present experience of God's presence. Verses 9 through 10 shows us this. That while we have not yet entered God's future rest in heaven, that's the thing we're anchored in, God gives us the present experience of his presence. And it's in him. It's in Jesus himself that we rest. Verse 9. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. In verse 10. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his This future sense of rest and present sense of rest both anchor us in what's to come, and they also let us taste the benefit of it now. Did Christ say that his work was done on the cross, or did he waste some of the blood? Did he waste some of his sacrifice? Did he say, I'm not sure what's going to happen with that portion of my sacrifice? No, he said, it's finished. And so we are both anchored in the future rest that God has promised, and we experience the joyful presence of God now in the labor of securing our salvation. In other words, you and I can stop striving according to our own metric of spiritual rest. 
It's Jesus who secured this future rest. And when you know the destination is settled, you don't have to worry about the future. What can you rest from? Now, you can rest from working for your salvation. You can rest from trying to prove yourself. You can experience rest now in what God has done for us. It's from this place of security and hope that we are motivated, like verse 11 says, to what? To strive to enter that rest. I'd love at this point to have some grand story of magnificent trust in God's rest and faithfulness to who he is. Uh, But that's not the story of my life. That's not the bends in my road. But maybe this will spur you on. Uh, When I graduated high school, I did some church internships. And one of the churches that I interned with, they used to do these summer camps. They'd be like 400 kids, multiple camps, just day camps. But we had no follow-up. We had no discipleship. We had no, hey, is that kid a Christian? Does he go to a church? We had nothing. And so every year, the same kids came. And so they hired me, hey, like just reach out, like find out what's going on. Invite them to a Bible study. Disciple uh, these students. Well, less than two months of reaching out to students and meeting with them, speaking to students at schools, I handed my last check to my pastor at a water polo match where we were cheering on a student. I said, I just can't do this. I'm no good. Only three students agreed to meet regularly for discipleship. I, I can't take the church's money. The church entrusted me with this, but I can't. Or do I wish that I had deposited that check, though, now? I do. Have you ever sought to do great things for God? Maybe lead a Sunday school or invite a non-Christian to church. Maybe convince your children that Jesus is still worth it. I spoke with a friend once who told me he felt called to youth ministry. Yeah, I responded, earnestly, not sure where this newfound passion had come from. Yes, he exclaimed. I'm talking about stadiums filled to the brim with young people whose hearts are on fire for God. Uh, This man worked at the local grocery store for some time, and he volunteered faithfully in the church. I looked up to him for his faithfulness. But in that moment, I wanted to warn him. Some of us are like that, longing to do great things for God, crushed by the weight that God never gave us to carry. Some of us are like a runner who sneaks into the course just before the finish line, wanting the applause. What is striving to enter rest looks like? It looks like a long obedience in the same direction. It looks like striving with trust. It looks like putting your kids to sleep after work. It looks like being respectable at your place of work. It looks like going home without an adult it's, it looks like being home without an adult conversation all day, faithfully raising image bearers of God, who one moment are so small, they smile without teeth, and the next cry because their diaper needs changing, and the next they go to the room without hugging you or sharing the fun things that happen during the day. Striving in faith for the promised rest of God looks like prayer when you'd rather do a Google search. It looks like Slowing down. It looks like hearing God's voice through his son in the gospel. It looks like laying down our naive optimism of what we think our life in this world should look like and replacing it with true faith. It looks like giving God your skepticism about every person you meet and their intentions. You can quit the mind reading. You can trust in God. He will give you rest. 
Strive in that way, it looks like speaking less. Because you don't have to be understood by everybody. Jesus was misunderstood all the time. It looks like going to church when you don't love the worship or the preaching or all the people that you sit next to. Don't look at anybody right now. Just like giving without strings attached. God's rest does not mean comfort. Rest comes after living from striving in this world, knowing God's kingdom is at hand here already and not yet. Lastly, here's our last point. We must heed his warning, verses 12 and 13. So far we've been taught, uh, we've been exhorted, and now we receive a warning. Dun, dun, dun. Can we do it? Can we handle this? Every human knows that they will be judged at the end of their life. Every human fears this. Whether you are a Christian or not, all humans seek to make themselves presentable, if it not at least impressive. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that God has placed eternity on our hearts. Disobedience is seen before God. He will give an account who we will give an account to. Joshua could not secure rest for his people. Jesus is the greater Joshua. Jesus' word is alive. It's sharp. It's a sword. It cuts to the depths of our inner being. Why do we hear about the word of God in verse 12? Uh, If you were following with that passage and you're like, I know this, I've heard this before, but why is it right here? It feels almost out of place. Here's why it's here. Because what the Hebrews need is to take Jesus more seriously, not less. They're forgetting spiritual amnesia. They're forgetting what they've received through Jesus. They're reminded that his word is living and active, sharper, and cuts to the innermost being. While we may think God does not see our most private sins or our thoughts, even our true intentions, his word cuts through all of our pretense. But no one is hiding from his sight. We are all like Adam and Eve in the garden, after rebelling against God, naked and exposed. There comes a point in our search for rest that we ultimately must come to grips with. God knows. He knows. It doesn't matter what it is, what you haven't done, what you've thought about, what you haven't thought about, what regrets, whatever it is, He knows. I know a man who hopes God will know he tried his best. And so he's quit on following the God of that same name. Brothers and sisters, this is foolishness. It's the great lie repeated throughout time. Did God really say, don't eat of the tree? You can imagine the Hebrews hearing verse 13 and remembering this as they are told, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed. This is not a warning with glee or excitement. It is a sober warning. Do you know this? Have you forgotten like the Hebrews I got lunch with a former student who had completed their freshman year of college and were catching up about classes and things like that. Uh, and I asked him, you know, how is your spiritual life? How's the church you joined? How are all those things? He goes, that's great. I'm not really reading my Bible. And I go, okay, uh, what do you mean? He goes, well, I'm just, you know, it's not great. Reading my Bible is not great right now. I go, what does that mean? He says, well, practically, I just, I haven't touched it. I said, oh. He goes, but it's okay. My prayer life's been fantastic. I've been praying a ton. And I said, who are you praying to? 
And he said, Jesus? And I said, how do you know about this Jesus? He said, oh, right. The congregation hearing this letter once knew God's word and followed it boldly. The author of Hebrews says as much in chapter 10. But now they don't listen to what God has spoken through his son Jesus. Life is difficult, so they seek relief in hiding their unbelief and sin. But God knows and sees. He discerns our thoughts and intentions. A warning, brothers and sisters, is only true if it can be backed up. A warning without authority to back it up is a bluff. Uh, I don't think God plays poker, but I'm pretty sure he also doesn't bluff. No, this is the God of the universe. It's not a boast to display power and authority. This is the God who came down to us. This is the God who suffered with us, but without sin. Uh, He knows, brothers and sisters, he knows the things that trouble you. He left, but he gave his very presence, his Holy Spirit, to be with us always. Uh, Can you hear these words? Jesus told the story of a rich man and a poor man. The rich man ended up in hell and the beggar in heaven. The rich man never cared for God or the poor man. And in his suffering in hell, all he could think about was relief. He said to the beggar, just give me a little bit of water to cool me down. There's no rest without God. It's toil. Jesus did the work we couldn't do so that we could strive by faith, yes, but also so that we could rest in his finished work. As you hear God's words, are you listening? Only he can give you rest. Are you hardening your heart? If you allow your heart to be forever hardened, you'll suffocate. Your heart is only hardened. If your heart is only hardened, your best attempts at rest won't even be felt. Some of you maybe already feel this. Uh, the things of God, the things of Jesus, of church that used to give you life, you've begun to harden your heart. Don't do it. Are you listening? Heed his warning while today is today. Our God is not far off. He's not cold. He's got a warm fire. He came to us. Look at his word. Feel it cut you like a surgery, but it's one that you need, and it gives you a new heart that works, that can feel, not only in this life, but in the next life. How do we enter God's rest? We fear God. No one is immune to apostasy. Two, we strive in faith. The Christian life is work, but it's work after his work on the cross that secured our reward, our eternal rest in the future, and our present rest now from trying to prove ourselves. Three, heed his warning. Uh, Jesus is not to be trifled with. He's a lion, yes, but as C.S. Lewis says, he's not a safe lion. Because Jesus is better than Joshua, you and I can enter God's rest. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we ask that you would truly be our rest. Father God, we need your Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, whatever I've said uh, that was too much, whatever I've left unsaid, God, would your Holy Spirit intercede? Would you give us yourself? Would you make an... Uh, us alive again to who you are. Remind us, God, of the rest that we find in you. Some of us have forgotten it. Some of us have never tasted it. Bring us to it, Lord. Quicken us that we may not quit this race. Amen. Uh, If you'll please stand. There is a hymn of response. Hymn number 699.